Welcome back to Boom Talk Studios on a very mellow, overcast July Sunday morning, day before the Fourth of July. Happy birthday, America! Happy birthday, FTI and FX. That's right, second anniversary. Already talked about it in the previous podcast. We're gonna drop another show this week in honor of our second birthday. Having our friend of the show, Alec Ford, come in and talk to us about big things that have gone on in the past week in sports. As always, we thank the folks at www.purpleplanet.com and Mixler for the music we use in the podcast. Folks at Road and Zoom for providing tools for wonderful content creation. All that good stuff you want to be on the podcast, ftinfx at gmail.com. Anyhow, it's happy birthday to us. We're going to have a lot of great stuff coming here in year three. Stay tuned. Anyhow, this is our conversation with the legendary Alec Ford from a few days ago. So, right. this is uh, a, a pleasure as we've hit our t- second anniversary of, of this podcast coming tomorrow as, as we're taping this. We figured we'd have one of our... Uh, esteemed guest, our favorite guest to come on the podcast to talk about the crazy things that have gone on the past week in sports. And so what better than to have my man, Alec Ford, return to the foxhole to really give us some insights into this insane world. Alec, welcome back. Ah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy doing this, of course. Okay. Well, because we've been talking for a few minutes. Wait a second here. I kicked out the uh, laptop plug. So <laughs> let's start off with what I'm going to call the L.A. earthquake, right? And we're oh, talking yeah. like an 8.3 on the San Andreas Fault in terms of the college football landscape. And so just for, you know, for openers, give me your take on what went down with UCLA and USC yesterday. Well, I mean, specifically as it pertains to those two schools, um, I just thought they saw an opportunity to uh, put a little more money in their coffers. And, um, and you know what? They've been in the Pac-12 for over 100 years. And as we know, the league hasn't been uh, run well lately. I mean, they are falling. They are definitely behind on the financial scale compared to the other major conferences at this point. Well, outside of the big 12, I suppose. But, um, but so that from their perspective, I just think they saw an opportunity to go to a, another conference and make more money. That's basically what I see. And if they had to leave the PAC 12 behind, that's basically what they did. Interesting. Okay. Because I was watching uh, KZI a little bit earlier to get the local reaction and, you know, they were up at uh, Matthew Knight talking to, you know, some alumni and, you know, people who were around for the summer. And, the, you know, the perspective from some of the Duck fans was they didn't get this in terms of what that UCLA and USC really not being good for, you know, pretty much the last decade or so, even though why SC was in the, the playoff in, what, 16? Uh, they were in the Rose Bowl. I don't think they've ever made the playoffs. Okay, but they were in the Rose Bowl. So, yeah, so 2016 was probably the last time they had a decent team. And people yeah. are, and I thought it was kind of interesting because I think, are you are you naive in, in terms of that? It's not what they've done lately. It's what they can bring to the table. Yes. And yeah. So, 
with that in mind, let's take a let's let's look at this from you know the Oregon point of view because you know when you told me this yesterday because you were the one, first person to to alert me because I was kind of buried in some other stuff. I was I thought it was just speculation. You know, I didn't know that it was advanced as it as it turned out to be, and that's why I was thinking, well, Oregon has to be in this conversation. So what does Oregon do now? Well, if I'm Oregon, the first thing I, what I'm doing, and it appears they have already done that, is I reach out to the Big Ten and I do whatever I can to get in the league because. If you're looking at the looking forward at the way the dominoes could be falling, I mean, you want to you at the end of the day, you want to end up in either the Big Ten or the SEC when this is all said and done, um, because those are going to be the two super conferences that happen at the end of this. So, um, so once you, so I basically go to the Big Ten and I um, do what I need to do to get in the league. Now, it appears from what I've read that the Big Ten, for now, is on pause, all right? I've read enough stuff on social media today, and who knows how much is speculation. I've read some from sources I trust, some for sources I may not trust as much. But it seems to me that Oregon has already pursued that option. And quite frankly, at this point, that's what you do, and you just wait to see what's happens basically okay because it's interesting is you know one of the things look at listening to the local broadcast you know and sort of you know obviously the clown show that is sorry folks but it's true and yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah right so anyway they're they were like looking at it like well maybe in this new pack 10 restructured you know we can be, you know, as far as ducks, you know, duck fans, we can be the the, the focus of this reconstructed pack ten or twelve, depending on who they would add. What do you think about that? Um, I okay, I don't like the idea of being in the reconstructed pack twelve or pack ten or pack whatever it's going to end up being when this is all said and done, because I see enough dominoes happening that. I don't see the Pac-12. Heck, right now it's barely being taken seriously as a major conference. Um, so I don't see that. I mean, if the ultimate route is to get into the playoff, win a national championship, I really don't see being part of this this restructured Pac-12 is going to get you there. Okay, because realistically, any team that could jump that wants to jump ship is going to jump ship at this, or that can jump ship, I should say. That has an offer out there. So you're always, you're not going to ever be truly stable. Essentially, the Pac-12 with this move is heading into the direction the Big 12 has essentially been in for the last decade of just never knowing what's going to happen. And then the bottom's eventually going to fall off. And I just don't really see, because Looking at it from a football point of view, I just don't see – I could see a team running the table in the new Pac-12 and still not making into the playoff, at least the way the playoff is currently set up. Now, that could change, you know, at some point, but that's basically um, why I just don't see a – I don't see a benefit right now at being part of the restructured, especially knowing there's other teams that any of the teams will jump if they get a chance. True, 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 true. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point, too, 
that I, you know, okay, now we're talking super conferences now, basically, and obviously Notre Dame is going to have to factor in there as well. Even the, and you have to think with their relationship and other sports with the ACC, that's a logical thing. But so now with super conferences, traditions, robberies, and just the structure that we knew basically about to be blown up before our very eyes. What does happen? What kind of structure do you see? Um, well, realistically, okay, I feel like the next – I feel like as crazy as it is, everything's on pause right now until Notre Dame <laughs> decides what they're going to do. Okay? Absolutely. Notre Dame, I see eventually – I don't really see how Notre Dame could keep up being an independent at this point. Okay, because um, I just think it'd be too hard for them to get a competent schedule if you're talking about 20-team, 18-20-team conferences. The amount of opportunity for a big-time non-conference games are going to go away, I feel. Okay. So so I think eventually what's going to happen is you're going to – the setup's going to end up with the SEC and the Big Ten – being an 18 to 22 team conference. And then there might be two conferences between the ACC and some combination of big 12, current big 12 and PAC 12 teams making up like a mini two conferences that, you know, could push the, what are, what's going to end up being the upper echelon two, basically. And then everyone else is just going to be kind of settled in the dust and, I mean, I eventually see, this may be further down the road, an NFL-type setup for college football. Absolutely. Where you end up with 40 to 55, 56 teams, and they're they're just playing a divisional setup, and... That's basically the pool that's playing for a national title. Right. Leads to that's it. how I see it in football. And other I don't know how that gets worked into other sports, but at least with football, that's how it's gonna oh, end. Yeah, up. Right. And, and football is the end all the be all, and that can actually drive a eight to twelve game playoff. Alrighty, welcome back to Fox Trotting in a Foxhole, Season 4, Episode 17, number 113 overall. If you want to join the party and come on the podcast, ftinfx at gmail.com, or see me in the pubs and taverns. A lot of crazy stuff getting ready to happen here in year three, here and away from here, so stay tuned. We're about to have some fun. Anyhow... Wonderful conversation we had going on with Alec uh, a couple nights ago, and we'll return to that right now. Yes. Well, I mean, eight to 12 team playoff, I mean to say. Um, okay, yes. you know, that flips us to a, to a perfect segue to this then. Okay, so on the one hand, we have the, the power structure being completely altered. And on the other hand, the empowerment of the athlete via the NIL and transfer portal. 
Ohio State, for example, saying $13 million they were going to need just for their football team's NIL budget. What yeah. happens from here with NIL? I mean, I, it just gets it just gets into more of a free-for-all, I feel, right now. Um, I mean, NL, NIL is here to stay, and I just think it – I don't see it getting regulated at this point. Like, the pro, the presidents, pro, the colleges probably want some regulation, but I just don't see it getting regulated. And it's going to come to the point where it's just every single organization – I mean, it's going to be whoever could offer the most money for the most part. The kid, and it's gonna be—it's really gonna become more of a professional type, uh, like what we've seen in the professional leagues. It's gonna become more of that type of setup, and I don't see. I think the can came out of. I think the lid's been open, and it's not getting shut back on at this point. Oh, I, absolutely, and that's and that's what's the interesting thing about about the lid being popped off, and you know as you. Your answer, and I think mine's the same in terms of, you know, what can be done to bring sanity to the new normal. I mean, go go with it, right? It's basically the, the sanity you're going to get. You know, with that in mind, you know, when I sit there and look at, um, like I said, when you talk about a program that says 13-5, just, just for its football budget, which means yeah. student-athlete, who, you know, people go, well, if we're going to have a 12-team playoff in all these games, when will they ever go to class? I go, what's the point of going to class if they're basically professional athletes or ap- or agents of the university, right? It's like you can't even consider them, you know, as student athletes at this point. As they're more of employees, right? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you're 100% right. I mean, and I hope that through this all, there's because I still believe in the importance of academics for these students and that's you know going to college playing for a sports team because realistically 97 98 percent of them aren't going to be professional aren't going to go to the next level um i hope there's some structure to make sure that they still have the act that they still do get the academic foundation but in the new setup i just don't see what motivation um that's going to happen. Plus there's going to be so much more temptations for the students to not go into class. It's going to definitely take a lot of self-discipline out of this. I mean, out of the individual to, you know, and then, you know, obviously there's the superstar types that probably won't need to go to class. I mean, well, sure. obvious. I was thinking about my, my favorite two twins that I talk about every week, every time I get an opportunity yeah. from Fresno to Miami now, Haley yes. and Hannah, the wonderful Cavender twins, the hotties that they are. I mean, why is it would they ever have to go to class? The fact that people have given, they both have made, what, $2 million each just from, you know. Uh, no, just, they'll never have to go to class. Now, <laughs> that the NCAA will do is, yes, those two are set for life. I mean, and I mean, there's probably many others mm-hmm. that will come out of this new setup set for life without having to go to class, assuming they're smart with things. But, um, but I, I mean, at the end of the day, there is still academic eligibility at play here. And I would hope that the NCAA doesn't drop the ball in that regard and say, you know, cause even if you don't in theory need to go to class, there still needs to be some rules where, if you don't make your grades, you don't get to play. 
no matter how much money you're getting. You would think that there, there would be, uh, you know, right, a, a prohibition like that in place. But what then I have to ask myself, well, who's doing force it? I don't know if the NCAA, the way the money has shifted so dramatically. I mean, what can I'm wondering what can they really do? Right, if you know the power conference, let's say you know you just brought up the model of the SEC, you know the big the uh, the Big Ten, right, and the ACC. Let's say they form their own thing and say, make their own rules and just tell the NCAA to, fought, to f off. Yeah, I mean, right, I which is which is a strong possibility. I'm just wondering where is the enforcement going to come? I know they, the NCAA has been talking tough and talking about retroactive penalties. I know they're down there looking at CMC and Coral Gables because the folks in Miami are already misbehaving. Yeah, but I wonder once again they couldn't enforce it against Miami when all the bad the BS was going on with Larry Coker. How the hell are they going to do it now, where they really have been shown to like you know? have no real teeth to their power. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, exactly. I mean, I don't really see how they're going to do it. They're going to do that. And going back to what you said before, um, if by some chance, um, those eventually these colleges break off and are totally away from the NCAA, it's up to those, whatever new structure they have, to enforce the rules. And I don't see it getting enforced if that happens. I mean, it's, they're, they're essentially going to be professional sports. I mean, even more so than they already are. If that structure ends up, if they break apart from the NCAA, they might as well be professional sports teams at that point. And I mean, and that, and then that's where it comes to the professional sports leagues. Do we might as well just change our rules to make it so, so, you know what, they could just come into our league right away because at that point, I don't really see the purpose of a college sports structure. I don't either, you know, and it's weird because, you know, when you see things like the Ignition uh, Elite League, which a lot of the high schoolers are now playing, you know, they get like, 100K or something like that and, and living expenses, you know, guys are doing that and then go, and then go, and heading into the N NBA draft. We're seeing more of that. And I'm just kind of wondering, you know, kind of like with, with how, how uh, you know, football proper with the academies is set up. Is that what we're really moving towards here? Because as you as you say, and now and a quick sidebar to that, you know, I, I, saw, I saw something really interesting today when somebody came out and talked about like the big men, like the fringe, the fringe big men centers. They're actually better off going going back to school because of the NIL deals, you know, right? In oh. terms of them not maybe going to Europe or playing in, you know, the CBA or whatever it's called now. What do you think about all that? Oh, I I completely agree. I mean, there's even some there's some things with this setup where mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, I mean, I hope not. At least no one's made no one in college right now is making let's say LeBron type money. Okay, as an example. But um, there are set there are things in the current setup that is actually probably more advantageous than um, professional sports in some ways because you have the freedom to basically jump teams year to year now, and you could sell yourself to the you could sell yourself to the highest bidder essentially. And on top of that, you still at the end of the day have the protection of the scholarship if you do flop at your school. So 
there's a lot more benefit in staying in, in some in some cases in staying in college if you could get the big time NIL or like you said going to college instead of going to like if you were even like looking at baseball as an example um, I feel I feel like there's more of a benefit now to going to college than to than riding buses on minor leagues for as long as it takes to you for you get to get to the majors, you know. Hey, you make a great point because okay, you know, we'll 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 hit the rewind button for a second and take it back almost 30 years when I was oh. at CSUN, actually back in the day before the CWS became really cool, you know, we were on the verge of of actually going to Omaha. And I think if we'd gone to Omaha, we might have won it, but we we ended up okay. losing the, the regional in Fresno. And mm-hmm. Four of our guys, you know, obviously, if they'd come back, we would have probably won it. This would have been in '93, but yeah, you know, yeah. obviously, you know, the way things were then, they took they took the money. None of them ever did shit as far as their baseball yeah. careers go. Yeah, and they <laughs> they were denied a moment. Whereas, if this were to be now, these guys would have all probably come back because you know, even at a, at a, at a, at a janky school like CSUN, someone would have figured out to get these guys a few dollars, to, you know, to make a run for a national championship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, no, right now, yes. At this point, if this had been today's world, um, mm-hmm, I think totally. those, guys come back. those guys come back in today's world because I feel like the value of winning the national championship, too, all right, would have prepared, like, it would have been enough of a, it would have been worth it enough for them to take a chance and come back the next year. And uh, that could, I mean, maybe this, I, I don't really see that happening with, superstar football or basketball players. Um, but who knows, you know, but I could definitely see it with other professional sports leagues or other sports that don't really have a, that much of an organized professional league with it. Now, now, okay. We just, even though I, I, um, tried to, I basically tried to debunk everything about what the NCAA will be able to do. But for now, because, it appears they still have power. One of the ways they have suggested is creating windows for tra- the transfer portal. That it can't be the free for all. That there can only be like maybe two or three windows a year that you're that you're eligible for it. Me personally, I think you should have to. Pl- you should have to. Um, God, but how do I? I mean, one. Yeah, I, I think you should have to do a year somewhere. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I'm not sure how how that should work because I think you can fix the transfer portal portal easier than you can fix nil yeah well the tra- okay the transfer portal if you could fix the transfer portal i think you at least because i personally do not like the idea of and this is just my perspective of someone being on a team and on a with a college and then basically being able to open up their services and make it a complete free-for-all for the next year like take that wide receiver for Pitt. Addison. I, yes, Addison. Yes, his name was um, his name was uh, uh, not clicking with me at the time, but he basically had an awesome year with Pitt, and he opened up his services. It became a free for all, and he's now in LA with USC. And I just don't like that type of stuff happening. I think if you fix the transfer portal, but basically made it so you went back to having to sit out a year. I mean, obviously there are exceptions, like there were back in the old days. 
But if you fix, if you make it so you have to sit up out for a year, you take away stuff like what happened with Addison. Mm-hmm. Or somebody, as we've talked about, you know, in our side conversations, you know, a St. Pete situation where somebody does all the hard work to make, you know, a mid-major viable, and then, you know, they make a magic run of the tournament, and four phone calls after they get eliminated, that program is decimated never to make a run for another 20 or 30 years because, you know, it's too easy. To, 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 oh, no, that, that situation kind of rubs me the wrong way. How could it not? It's sports more than anything. Because from the player's perspective, I understand why you want to go to a why you use that opportunity to go to a major to go to maybe a higher up university. But the fact the system allows them to just bail after what happened, you know, is just, it's dischanting, especially because you think of the people around this country who all went to those smaller mid-major type schools. I mean, the dream is to see your school become the next Gonzaga, as an example, all right? Obviously, Gonzaga is a huge outlier in the big scheme of, the sports world, but it, they show that it can happen. Oh. And schools in place, I think, will prevent a type of Gonzaga-type story from ever happening again, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, and I, St. Pete's could have been that next one. Who knows? But now they're going to be decimated for years. And, I mean, it'll be 20 years before you they make another run like that, if that happens. Right. And I know we've talked about this many times, you know, off, off, off to the side. But one of the things that I can't stress upon enough, and it just makes my head almost explode, and I watch TV and I see the Joy Taylors or the Molly Quirms or, or, you know, right, all of them. And it's all, what's this thing they always say? Well, the coaches are able to do this. The coaches are able to do that. You know, give the players some empowerment. It's like it's not the same argument. It's not even apples and oranges. And, you know, we're, we're, we've been sort of like bombarded to think that, you know, the coaches get to exploit these players. And to your point about the whole education that they get and all the other perks that come with it, they don't get fired if they're on scholarship. I don't understand no. why people have this issue that coaches abandon kids when they they live year to year, game to game, really, given how trigger happy people are today oh i i mean i agree i mean i totally agree and i mean the perspective people need to say to really think about is that take at oregon okay for every marcus or for every joey um there's probably 20 25 people who were given a scholarship of out of high school and didn't do more than practice on the scout team during their whole time there and they got free educations and hopefully they use them to, you know, to, you know, have a good life, to get a good job, to get a good career. All right. But just because the, if, if a five-star recruit goes to a university and turns out they should never have been a five-star recruit to begin with, the school can't fire them. The school can't take their scholarship away. So, yeah, it's definitely not a similar situation. Um, so that's basically, that goes a lot to like what you said, basically. Okay. So before we flip it over to the NBA, we'll close it with this, this segment with this one. So with all the things that we've just talked about, as far as the, you know, 
the the shifting continents, shall we say, the, uh, the NIL, the transfer portal. One thing, and it's been highlighted quite a bit because we hit the 50th anniversary and you've seen it all on sports everywhere the last two or three weeks, Title yeah. IX. How does yeah. Title IX fit into the new normal? Um, I mean, I, th- okay, I mean, actually, I think if anything, there's probably going to be a new movement to um, – strengthen title nine if anything um and you know what i mean you talked about the twins and that's one way that it fits Mm -hmm. into it into the new normal you know but i mean we've definitely seen just a general growth of women's sports over the last two decades all right in a positive direction i would say for the most part yes for the most part in a positive direction and I see the NIL being used to kind of expand some of those, um, expand some of that growth that has been happening. Um, now, there could, there's always going to be that possibility of unequal pay being brought up. And that's a whole nother can of worms that could eventually come out of the NIL, but from now it seems to at least be at least perceived as a positive development. Right. I think that in NIL is the positive, the darker side of it. And this, you know, c- came out during COVID. And I think as I've talked about on the podcast a couple of times recently, you know, some of the lawsuits that have come up like San Diego state women, um, a few other schools, how a lot of women's programs got the ax you know, some men's programs as well with COVID being the excuse. And then when things got back to normal and the revenues went up, those programs weren't reinstated. And there is this fear that as the revenue comes in for the programs that matter, there'll be more of an excuse to get rid of some of the non, you know, generating sport, revenue sports. And a lot of those happen to be, you know, women's sports. And it well, worked. yeah. The tumbling I mean, team. Yeah. And that well, yes, and that's something that if you're looking long term, could def I, we could definitely see happening. But I mean, for now, it doesn't seem to have. But it's only been around for a year. Now, yeah. So, oh, absolutely. You know. That's why you know it was worth bringing this up. And I think there was a lot of positives, but there's a lot of unknowns, and these unknowns are like, I yeah, I mean, I right. Mean, I, same time, Title IX's not going away. No. Um, I mean, who knows? There could be some court case in the future that changes all that. But as long as Title IX doesn't go away, these schools are going to have to make adjustments to make sure they comply with the rules. True. But, but there's a the thing, though, what? and that's a great point you bring up because, you know, I just read a study last week, you know, when I was kind of thinking about, you know, doing this podcast at some point with you. And just it wasn't that I was going to talk about it, but it was just something that I looked up. And the, co- the compliance uh, rate is so bad and getting worse. You know, as far as what, how schools are fudging the numbers and just basically, like I said, eliminating programs. It's far more murkier than anybody is being let known from what I was reading, actually. And that's that. And, Look for that to be more of a story moving forward as, you know, oh, the, yeah. the, the oh, profits, you know, generate, as they continue oh, to generate, right? Because, you know, obviously there's just so much ridiculous amounts of money, you know, whether it's this, live, soccer, you know, right, that 
the more money that's on the table, you just have to wonder. I mean, you know, let's 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 just look at you know the UCLA USC thing before we go away from to the next segment. But you know, yeah, that rubbery isn't what it used to be. But let's say what SC and Oregon and all those all those big games now they're they're taken off the board, right? Because you know the tradition is great and what that's meant for the West Coast. But with the money on the table, it's like so what? We can create re- new rivalries, <laughs> right? New interest. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm a, I like I said, those people with college, and I've said this to you many times. I'm kind of like, you know what? I mean, people hold on to sentimental rivalries too much, and sometimes it just doesn't. It, it's it's non beneficial to one of the parties to keep it going. Um, like, I will say this, like, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like an arrogant Duck fan, but I have no qualms not being in the same conference as the Beavers, if this, which looks like this is where it's eventually going to be headed to, you know, at some point. Because at the end of the day, we <laughs> – the mighty Oregon definitely pulls it – is definitely worth more than the mighty Beavers are at this point. And no offense to them. I've no, no. I've always had a special place in my heart for Oregon State sports sure. But it's just a reality right now. Right. Same if you're comparing Washington to Washington State and so on. Okay, that's a great. You know, so, okay, I thought that was the last point, but let's get another quick sidebar right here. Yeah. Make up a great point. And we talked about this earlier. We scratched it, you know, in our conversation, you know, before you know, or earlier today. So yeah. you have these teams like Washington, Stanford, ASU to some degree, Oklahoma mm-hmm. State, these teams that have a pedigree. In, in yeah. a history, but now all of a sudden, or out of the power matrix, well, you know yeah. what? What's the, what's the future looking like for them? Well, for them, I actually okay. I okay. So, as much as it looks bad, at least for the Big Twelve, when Texas and Oklahoma left, and even right now with the Pac twelve with the Los Angeles schools leaving, I feel like there's enough pedigree that those schools will land on their feet. Because I do see there being at least one or two major con- one or two conferences below the Big Ten and the SEC forming out of this, whether it's the ACC staying or some merger of the Big Twelve and Pac Twelve. I personally think the Pac Twelve will end up dying in all of this. That's just my opinion. But um, sure. But at the end of the day. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you could form a strong enough conference that has credibility between the Oklahoma States, the Baylors, the Stanfords, the Arizona States. SDSU, right? I mean, yeah. there's, there, there, there's some Mountain West schools at Boise, obviously. There are some schools out there, out here, that can form a, a, a strong 16 to 20 team Western Conference. I mean, obviously. What's that? When it's all said and done, I think it's going to be called the power too. But right. I think there will be a conference of enough cred- credibility that, hey, they could get into the playoffs. Yeah, they're, they're, they'll be respected and an undefeated season will be respected enough for them to be able to work their way into the playoffs. Yeah, especially so, if we go to eight to 12 teams, probably 12 is what we're, we're, we're probably looking at. I, with, mean, I mean, those schools will be fine. The school, there's pr- uh, of the current power five schools, and no one in the current SEC or Big Ten has to worry about this. So if you're the Vanderbilts or the Rutgers, you don't have to worry about this. There is eight to ten schools that are going to be left out of the 
that are essentially going to be going to the new group of five or to the that will essentially become group of five teams out of that. Which schools they are? Yeah, right. That's two on the top of my head that are right here on the West Coast. And I think anyone with uh, decent sports knowledge knows which two I'm referring to. But so those are the, the, the eight. There's eight to ten schools that are going to really get the shaft out of this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. In, in terms of that are getting a pretty good deal right now, you know, because of their history and who they ride with in their conference. But getting the rug pulled out from them, yeah, it's going to be pretty drastic. Yes, it is going to be pretty drastic. Say hello to the Mountain West. That's all I can say. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> well, we'll wrap that up, uh, reset, and we'll come back and talk some NBA. All right. All right, folks. We will continue this conversation on the other side. Welcome back to Fox Trotting in a Foxhole. Season 4, episode 17, 113 overall. Second anniversary special double podcast this week. Our conversation with Alec Ford continues here in a second. Quick shout out to the Reds, Land United, keeping the unbeaten streak alive last night. Their goalkeeper coming up and nailing the stoppage time equalizer. Fantastic stuff there. Need the W's to make the playoffs, but still, it's been an exciting ride. One more home game left this Thursday. Get your folks, get yourselves out there and check out Land United at Civic Park. All right, folks, let's get back to our conversation with Alec Ford. Going back live. All righty, so obviously we've had a big week in the NCAA. Crazy uh-huh. week. But I yeah. think we've had just as crazy of a week in the NBA. Yes, I do too. I do too. Okay, so I'm going to start you off with this one for before we get into the craziness. First question, what do you think of the dubs in a historical con- context? And the second question, where do you rate Curry and Kerr now in terms of all-time greats? Oh, man, that's a tough – That's a that, okay, from a historical context, what the dubs were able to – okay, that obviously they won a title before Kevin Durant got there. And then they had a 73 win season the year after. And it took one of the most miraculous performances in NBA finals history for them not to get a chip that second time. But I cannot, having said all that in a historical context, this definitely ring puts them up a lot. And it, definitely gets credibility back into the people like Curry, Thompson, Draymond, Kerr, because I cannot think of a team losing a player as great as Kevin Durant and then two, three seasons later being able to rent, win a title with, a, with, the, with the core, basically, minus that superstar. That just rarely happens in the NBA. Now, this is obviously a unique case, a unique team, 
But it definitely puts them up there with one of the all-time great teams, all-time great dynasties of all time. Um, I mean, I'm not willing to say they're the Jordan Bulls or the Showtime Lakers, but, I mean, maybe another couple t- – if, if this group could win another title or two, that's a question that we could start answering, you know. Okay. Uh, in terms of Curry, I will say he's – I mean – I, we've talked about, and I've never ordered my 10 greatest players of all time necessarily because a lot is subjective, but I have a group that I would consider are in the top 10 players of all time. And I think you may be able to start making an argument that Curry belongs to be, belongs in that group. And as far as coaches go, um, I mean, I'm still not willing to put Kerr ahead of Phil or Red or even Popovich at this point, but I would, I say he belongs in the maybe borderline top five, top six or seven. Would you put him like equal with Riley? I would put him equal with Riley. I I actually think that's what I would put him in that same thing. Now, now personally, I don't know if we've ever specifically, I don't put right. I would put Riley a rung below Phil Red and Popovich in my Mm -hmm. opinion, but that's about where I would put Kerr at. Okay, I think that's where I'm at as well. I mean, that's yeah. Um, I I was kind of wavering as far as Pop, Riley, and, and Kerr. I mean, I think Red and and Phil are yeah. obviously just you know right. Oh, Red the, and Phil are the top two, and mm-hmm. you could go back and forth between those two. That's just my opinion. Uh, but yes, I think that's valid. Riley, Kerr, and Pop definitely are in the next three runs. And I don't know, do you think, uh, in your opinion, do you think Curry could, you could make an argument that he's like at least on the edge of that top I think definitely. I think think right now, and I'm going to it this summer, you know, get a panel of all my basketball junkie friends and, you know, probably send out a Google form and finally get something down on paper is what we think about our top 10 or 15. Okay, and so I think he's I, I think he's on the edge, you know, because I think people like yourself and I and, and some of our friends who actually know the game and uh-huh. it, and actually can wait what happened in the fifties and the sixties and seventies equally to what's going on now. So yeah. I think because there's so many great players in this game, and I'm not diminishing what he's done. I feel. Okay, this kind of bleeds into the next question because Draymond says that he thinks they can win three of the next four. Now, no. obviously, I don't believe that, but if they were to win two of the next four, then obviously I would have to shut the hell up when it comes to Curry being on the yeah. fringe and, and what and how he's changed the game. Oh, but- I would put him strictly in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like if I like the debate in my head is between like Curry and Akeem. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, that that would be a tough. Because, like, I have, like, kind of Akeem and Shaq kind of on the edge of the top ten, and I don't know how I would compare Curry with those. I don't know. It's hard for me to decide. It's like your dilemma with Pop, Kerr, and Wright. Mm -hmm. It's mine with Curry, Shaq, and Akeem. And I love Shaq, but it's I'm willing to entertain the possibility that I might put Curry ahead of Shaq at this point. Yeah, because you cannot diminish, I mean, his influence on the game. Yes, the rules have changed, but the fact that, you know, if you do not have people that can fuck, that, that can shoot accurately from deep, 
You can't win in this league anymore. I don't no, know. No, you can't. Yeah, right. No, the game has changed. Those Warriors teams changed the game, and there aren't very many um, similar. Similarly to how the Showtime Lakers changed the game in a lot of ways. Um, at this point, like you, like if you can, you used to be able to win just with grinding out defense and having good mid range shooters. Now, if you can't shoot the three, you cannot win in this league right now. I mean, I mean, hey, we saw that with our Lakers last year. Basically, if you cannot shoot, if you don't have a threat of a shoot of a shooter on the court, you can't win. And the Warriors basically changed the game. They're they're definitely going to be a historic team in that regard. When you look 20, 30 years down the road. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So before we jump off the wars, one last thing: as Draymond's talking all this nonsense, can they win three of the next four? I'm going to say no because I just see – I see too many good teams in the West right now. Um, like, I see them – between the Memphises and the Phoenixes right now, I don't I, – I just see – and obviously they had injury. I mean, people forget – I mean, people don't forget because that's why they were pretty much crap for two years. But they've shown that they could all get injured too at this time. And um, I just think Memphis has a lot of young players. I think Phoenix is, those are teams that are built that I just do not see the Warriors and Dallas. Huh? I was completely forgetting about Dallas and Luca. If you could put another guy, if you could get Luca, another superstar around him somehow, I mean, which could happen, you know, I don't, I just don't see that happening because they're getting older, but I could eat my words. I mean, they could, Surprise me because I mean I don't think anyone pegged the Warriors to win the title this year. Honestly, no. Stephen in- a, other than Stephen A. Stephen A. was was, was quick <laughs> to say that that when when Clay was coming back, he said it's over. So I'll give Stephen A. that, but he was the only one because I know myself. I thought they were going to break down, and as you pointed out, they were one ankle twist away from this oh. all falling apart. Well, people forget that a month before the playoffs started, Curry got hurt, and Mm -hmm. it wasn't looking too great for them. Now, if that ankle injury happens, like, in the first round of the playoffs, we're not even having this discussion right now, you know. So I'm going to go out of order here what I was going to ask next, and because you actually segued to one of my lower uh, bullet points. And so, of all the teams that have shown promise, who is Perel, in your opinion, and who's fool's gold? Who will you know go back to being the mediocre jokes they've always been? I think Dallas is. I don't think that. I think Dallas is here to stay because I just see too much. I just see too much upward potential in Luca for them to tumble down. Um, Memphis seems to. I mean, Memphis. I think is here to stay too because it seems like they built a solid enough team around Morant and. That solid enough team they built around Morant could help them this summer, which I'm pretty sure is going to be a segue later. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, I think those two are here to stay. Phoenix seems to Phoenix is a team that, and like I said, I completely ate my words about Phoenix. I, at least it seemed like I was for a lot because before the season when we talked. Um, I basically said I thought Phoenix's run to the finals last year was a fluke. 
but they kind of showed it wasn't. But I'm still not 100% sure they're there to build because when CP3 retires inevitably, I just don't see them being able to replace him easily. And amazingly, he hasn't gotten hurt his whole tenure in Phoenix. So, I mean, they're one injury away, I feel, to from one injury, one retirement away. Plus, it seems like the management and Aiton don't seem to be on the same page. Right. So, I I don't see them here to save. I'm if you're looking by few, I mean, at least of just the Western teams. If you're looking at the future rankings, I would put I definitely put Memphis and Dallas as my top two, and then after that, it is hard. I could see New Orleans have they have a lot of young players, and they got a good draft pick this year, so. I could see them moving into upper echelon, but they haven't shown enough yet, in my opinion. And going east, I would say Milwaukee will be good for a while as long as they have Giannis on their team. And same with um, same with Boston seems to have a good young core right now. Right, I think Miami's solid. I think Miami's going to get better. They're going to make some, they're going to make a move to, to get them the, to the next step. They've been trying to because they've been pretty solid. You know, going back to even before the bubble, it's just, you know, unfortunately for them, they've always run into somebody who had a little bit more than they've had. Yeah, I mean, Miami, I mean, we all know they're run very well. Um, between Riles still making the moves in the front office and Spolstra's showing himself to be a Hall of Fame coach, in my Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. Whatever doubts I had about Spolstra during the LeBron, Bosch, Wade years have completely been erased the last three or four years in the job. And I will go as far as saying this. If somehow Spoles can make a run with Miami and get a few more chips, I would put him and Kerr on, on an equal pairing because I don't think Spoles gets enough credit. Oh, no. I think it, I think the finals appearance he made in the bubble combined with becoming – he was a whisker, a Jimmy Butler – Whisker three away from possibly coaching in another finals this year. So, you know, um, it's uh, I could agree with that statement for sure. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's a great coach, and he has a chance that if he could get a ring or two of ultimately being considered one of the greatest coaches of all time. Okay, so that was the warm-up. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty. We'll start with this one. What do you think of the implosion of the Brooklyn Nets, and where should KD and Kyrie play next year? Well, they don't have they don't have much say on where they're going to play next year. So, in their own world, I mean, I think KD could be a good fit on a lot of teams that need that extra piece. Um, Memphis, like I said, would be one of them. Um, heck, he and Luca would be great together, I feel, in Dallas. He'd be scary in either one of those places. <laughs> um, Phoenix, but realistically, the Nets are going to do the, the Nets aren't going to get, the Nets are in a position where they have no draft picks, essentially, for five years. Um, so I don't see them giving him away for pennies on the dollar. So wherever they trade him to, that t- him and Kyrie, for that matter, Whenever, wherever they trade them to, uh, whoever is giving them up, whoever, whatever you give up to get him, you are, um, you are basically making it so your team is very top heavy. I feel so. So, 
And I would actually say, if I actually had to say, I would say uh, Durant. I think Durant would actually be a good, his best fit of all teams, I think, is Miami, believe it or not. Oh, because no, I think it'd be great there. I think he would be great there because they, he's, He's a le- he's a little bit high- he's a higher level than Jimmy Butler, but I feel like they I actually feel I mean I know Butler has had a history of being a head case in the past, but I feel like in that Miami system in that locker room with that management, I think he could be the thing that could push them over the edge, and I actually think that Miami could give up pieces that might be acceptable to the Nets. That also wouldn't significantly derail their roster. Like they'd probably have to give up Hero and some draft picks or Bam and some draft picks. But Bam kind of struggled last year. So, but I still think the Nets would take a chance on him. Now, Kyrie, realistically, there's only one team I could see him that I think even wants him right now. Um, and that's our Los Angeles Lakers. And we want him because he's just a better fit than Russ. I mean, when it's all said and done. And we'd be willing to take that chance. But if I'm the Nets, I don't make that trade, to be honest. So I don't see I, – I kind of see Kyrie being stuck at this point. Hmm. So that's a great transition. But before I get to that transition, let me ask you this. This is something I heard on TV today and I didn't give it much thought. So do you think the implosion – of the Brooklyn Nets and all of the all of the hype that went into when this big three was formed, do they let the 2004 Lakers off the hook in, in terms <laughs> of the biggest disappointment ever? Oh man! I mean, if this is how the story ends, then it might lead the to it might uh, let the 2004 Lakers off the hook. Now, I was I ha- I kind of it's been 18 years now since that. Uh, that awful memory of that team in the fight because at least that team got to the finals. And <laughs> I still say we were a Carl Malone knee injury away from winning it, the finals. It is despite, back basically just giving out him. <laughs> despite everything that happened that year with us. Right. But, so uh, go ahead. It would definitely be one of the biggest disappointments considering they hype, how much hype they came in with for them to just kind of go out like this with a clunker. I mean, yeah, I mean, it would – and it would definitely destroy both, probably both Kyrie and Durant's legacy unless they could rack up chips at another location. Okay, so people, you're just going to have to bear with us. You know I try not to be Homer on my podcast even though – All righty, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll finish up with Alec and get you out of here for the – Double podcast weekend. Anyhow, we'll be back on the other side. Welcome back to Fox Strutting in a Foxhole, Season 4, Episode 17. Your faithful host, Ken Harlan, here. If you want to come on the podcast or the other one, the scene, F-T-I-N-F-X at gmail.com. Just drop me a line to say hey. All right, folks, this has been a really entertaining conversation with 
Alec Ford. Going to return to that in a second. By the way, you're getting ready for year three, so definitely stay tuned. Tell your friends to tune into this podcast. The fun's only beginning. Okay, let's rock this. Okay, so people, you're just going to have to bear with us. You know I try not to be Homer on my podcast, even though the teams I like, like the Lakers and PSG and LAFC, they happen to get a lot of talk and headlines. They end up being in the podcast. So folks, deal with it. Let me ask you, are the, are the Los Angeles Lakers toast, or what do you see coming from them in 2022-23? Okay, first of all... Um... I did not like I, I I I make statements after things happen and sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. You could vouch that right after the West the Rush trade went through last year that I was ripping it from pretty much day one. I I did not like the trade at all. And for a lot of reasons. I thought it was a bit I thought it was a bad fit. Bas- I thought he was a bad basketball fit for the roster that we had and that ended up being true he's also the way our team is set up with hardly any draft picks with no other really young players because i believe monk now just signed a contract with the kings that's correct um we have no flexibility to really change our roster so that's why i am very i am not very optimistic going into the next season I am just praying that Dar. At this point, the only prayer we have is that Darvin Ham could somehow turn out to be similar to like how Adoka ended up being for Boston. But we have to. We have to. Russ is going to have to be willing to do some stuff next year for us to succeed. That I'm just not sure he's willing to do. So I don't see. And our biggest trade ship is. AD at this point, but I'm I still don't know the wisdom of trading him when he's still relatively young. I mean, I mean there are times where I think he's peaked, which he may have, but he also, I mean, the fact he's only 27 and has already shown what he could do when he's healthy. Yeah, because yeah. I think it's a question of him getting the ring, getting married. The L.A. life, he's just out there, you know, I mean, he's not hungry right now. You know, he got validated getting the ring in the bubble, got married after that. You can just tell from his social media, you know, he's just living his best life. And, yes. you know, somebody needs to go, I mean, obviously there's other other nuances that have to be, you know, added there as far as the Lakers and, and the training goes. But he just needs to have that reality check, right? Because I do, because I'm with you, unless you could get, KD in a trade. I know KD has no interest in joining us and, you know, and, and adding to our legacy for some reason. He he has an allergy when it comes to the Lakers, and that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, but outside of him, right, I can't see anybody else that uh, would make sense for us. Well, it, no one that would make sense. I mean, there's guys that may, we may be able to uh, convince on the free agent market to take a chance with us, but we're not even a destination for ring chasing at this moment. I mean, normally you get free agents to come maybe on a little bit better deals if you could entice them with a chance for a ring, but I don't see that as our destination. I mean, just knowing the lack of flexibility we have at this moment, I I feel, I mean, I hate to be just so pessimistic, but 
I just don't see much hope for us next year. The only hope is that Darvin Hand ends up, does something differently that makes the pieces gel better together. Well, right. I mean, and, the, and I was listening to Wendy and um, the other guy, what's uh, McMinnon or whatever his name is. Yeah, McMinnon, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was listening to them early morning. I was like doing some, uh, some prep for something else. And yes. they made some interesting up. They made a couple interesting observations to me about Darvin Ham. One yeah. is because you know, as you mentioned about the guy in Boston, yeah. the, the long tenure they've had in the league, they've gotten to know all the journeymen and role players, and and apparently, from what they were saying, he's got as good of a rapport with those kind of guys as anybody in the league. And so I heard that, and that kind of made me like, okay, you know, to your point, like this is this is how it's going to have to be in terms of constructing a roster that can be competitive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I, I okay. The one gem I think we have is Reeves. I mean, mm-hmm. I I saw enough from Reeves last year that I am convinced, and I hope this is all on Russ right now, or it's all on Ham to make Russ buy into this. I honestly think you start Reeves at point guard and bring Russ off the bench, and that would change our fortunes a lot. Well, mean, absolutely, because Reeves reminds me of Caruso a lot, honestly. Right, and so without getting too deep as far as making it about Laker analysis, but, I know, I know, yeah. But <laughs> I will say this: is that you know they also made it. Rick Bucher and uh, I forget who else it was. They made a good point on one of the other shows that how. As soon as the trade rumors started, the Lakers' odds got better. I.e., you're in your town, they always know what's up, and yes, somehow yes. you know people are are keeping an eye on the Lakers, like they know something's afoot. So I'm, I don't think it's as bleak. I'm with I share your pessimism because right now it doesn't seem that way, but I also yes. know that a healthy AD and LeBron on a, on, a, on a sensible minutes restriction. Yeah, things, things could things could work out. Yes, I mean, if we, I, I, honestly, I mean, if we could just get into the play-in or the playoffs, I mean, I, I, I mean, I like, I still like our chances in a short series against almost anyone. Well, sure. I mean, I, you know, we beat the we beat the the champs in the, in the play of last year in the in the upcoming team, right? The team of the future, if I remember right. Yes, yes, we did. So. <laughs> so you know, so if we could get in, if we could just get those five or ten more wins that we, or let's say ten to fifteen more wins, which is a lot in an eighty-two game season. But you know, if we could get that, then you know what? I just just let it roll in the playoffs. I mean, if we could get there, you know. Okay, so let's move to this one then. So outside of the Brooklyn meltdown, what off-season move or story has surprised you the most so far? I was kind of surprised that. Uh, Minnesota Thank you. appears to be willing to go all in. Um, they gave up pretty much their future for Rudy Gobert. And that that shocked me in a lot of ways. I mean, the NBA is one of those leagues. It shocked me and it didn't. It shocked me because I didn't see Minnesota as a team that was like one piece away from being a title contender. Um, I mean, they got D'Angelo, they got Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, they got a good core, but I didn't see, like, a piece um, making them a title contender. 
But at the same time, in today's NBA, you don't want to be stuck being how Portland was for like the eight pre- previous years, a team that was always good enough to get into the playoffs and may have even had home court a few times, but you knew never really had a chance to do much. I mean, being stuck in that borderline playoff team every year is not where you want to be in today's NBA. So now does this move get Minnesota out of that? I still don't see that. I still see them as fourth best in the West at best, maybe even fifth, even after this move. So I'm not a hundred percent sure um, it's going to get them what they want, but I don't it surprised me, but I don't mind swinging for the fences in today's NBA. Okay. So this is, so let's do some rapid fire here. Okay. In terms of some things that that are going to happen or could happen. Let's start with Dame Dallahalla. (laughs) (laughs) I just saw that Nurkic just uh, re-upped for his extension. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen with Dame Duller Holler and the Blaze oh, Hollers? I think if Portland makes a big, it all depends. Now, I've I've read Durant rumors to Portland, which may not be um, totally wacko at this point. If that happens, he stays. If not, I could. If Portland does what I think they'll do, assuming they don't... Now, they did make a good move for Jamari Grant. I get, I like that trade move. Um, but if they're sitting outside the playoffs come the trade deadline, I think they got to move him at that point. And in some ways, he's been a class act for that city for the last, oh man, how 10 years now, I think? About that, yeah. About that. So, um, you know, they might owe it to him to uh, give him a chance to win a ring somewhere. But... It all depends on what Portland does this offseason. Okay. So let's take let's go down the coast. And not a lot of talk has been going about we talked about the Lakers, their tennis that they share a built they share the same building, the crypt. Yeah. They just made an interesting move and have I Kawhi like is back. What do you think about the Clippers moving forward? I think if Kawhi and Paul stay healthy next year. They can make some noise. And I'm telling you, I think that I like the John Ball signing. I really do. Um, we all know he's been hurt the last, um, oh, who knows? It seems like he's been hurt forever. You know? Pretty much parts of the last three years, definitely. Yes, pretty much parts of the last three years. He couldn't have played more than 50, 60 games. All right. But I think he has something to prove. Um I, and they got him on the cheap, too. And I think he could end up being kind of that um, sneaky signing that puts them over the top right now. So, I mean, I think that wall move made the – I mean, that's as good a move as I think you can make, at least the teams that are just using their mid-level exception. Basically. Right. If those three are healthy, how are they not the dark horse? And Draymond was correct in saying that – you know, I don't fear too many people, but that does make me take a pause, you know, for concern. And I thought, yeah, you know, if if they if they have those three together, they don't move Paul George, and you know, Ka- Kawhi obviously is a wild card. You know, right? Yeah. Who knows what the hell is going on with that guy, and whether he's injured or not, or wants to play. But if he does, yes, 
Oh yeah, if he does, he still is. He can still be a top five player in this league if he wants to play, if he's healthy, if he um, is motivated. And I just think, just you know, being someone that like joining LeBron on the list of leading three different franchises to an NBA title has to be motivation for the guy. But he also has some head case issues himself, though. You know, so okay, great segue to this point then. Speaking of head cases, we see that our, our our favorite patron of the strip clubs, Mr. Harden, turned down his 47.4 uh, option. What about that team? B, Harden, what do you see with them moving forward? Oh, God. That's, that's a wild card because going back, I mean, it seems like injuries are a theme, and it always is when you talk about the NBA. But... Um, if Harden comes back, which I, from what I understand, him turning down the option is just a precursor to him resign. At least that's what all the that's my understanding as well. Yeah, that's my understanding. Is him turning down the option is a precursor to set Philly's cap up better. So, I mean, if there, it's a huge wild card if their heads are on straight. And if they could stay healthy, I mean, but future wise, I just don't, I, I mean, I'm looking at the landscape. Embiid. All right. Let me reset. Embiid could be as good a center as there is in the league. Absolutely. If he's healthy. But between his injury issues and I'm just looking at teams like Miami, like Boston, like Milwaukee, um, I really don't see – I see them maxing out as a team that loses in the second round every year. I mean, even with Embiid and Harden because I just don't trust that they'll stay healthy. And James, you just can't trust that he's his head's going to be in the game all the time either. You know, so, I mean, I feel like their max is maybe conference finals. Okay, I think that's – I think that makes sense. So then we've got teams like the Jazz, for example. Mm-hmm. No coach. Donovan Mitchell pissed off. You just moved Gobert, as you talked about, which I, I thought, wow, for that kind of those kind of assets, what are you thinking? Yeah. What about teams like that? What about Joker and company in Denver? Are, are these like the fool's golds of the world where I mean I feel like Joker is a fool. I mean, he's a great player and he's a two time MVP right now, which is um amazing in its own right. Um but I just don't think – I mean, Murray's a nice piece, but like I said, just looking at the landscape, comparing them to other teams, I honestly just don't see how they um, – um, um, I just can't see them getting in the upper echelon. Like I, say, like I said, I see them maxing out in a conference final loss, and – I'm not sure they could even get there. I think second round is basically what their um, future stores for most of the years. Now, I mean, I'm not saying it's not worthwhile to just keep the group. Maybe you get lucky with an injury and find yourself in the finals at some point. But that team, I feel like it's joke. I feel like it's fool's gold. Utah just seems like they're in a full rebuild at this at this time based off the move based off trading Gobert and getting those assets I can't see Donovan Mitchell sticking around very much longer I mean I feel like he's eventually going to get traded 
And that puts them, you know, on the bottom of the list. I mean, quite frankly, so. Okay, let's see here. I mean, now there's one more I, I actually have here too. I feel with all the talk going on this off season and because injuries derailed them in the, in the last quarter of the season, we're not talking about the Bulls. The Bulls showed a lot of promise and potential. What about that team? Oh, man. You know what? The Bulls are a tough one because, okay, they came out of the gate, and they by the All-Star break, they were really surging. And they seemed to run out of gas at the end of the year last year. At Caruso, Lonzo getting bad injuries. Yeah, Caruso, Lonzo. I mean, they just signed Levine, or he signed him. Um, I mean, I, I see the problem with the Bulls I see is I'm not sure how much the Rosen season last year was fool's gold or not. Because, um, he, I mean, he was being – it's hard to believe looking back. I believe he was being talked about as an MVP candidate at points during the season last that year. He was. Like February, March. And – He's always been a good – like, he's had a great career. I mean, in Toronto, had a few good years in San Antonio, too. But I never saw him becoming an MVP candidate in a million years. And I'm just not sure he just doesn't kind of go back to the 20 to 22-point-a-game score that – a very good player, by the way, that we've seen from him throughout his whole career. And, like, they're, they're kind of similar to Philly, I feel. As in, I don't think they have enough to really get over the top. I mean, just because of what's going to be in their way when they trip. I mean, Philly's the same issue. Denver's the same issue. I mean, I just think there's going to be too much in their way to be able to ultimately rise to the mountaintop. Okay, so let's get us out on this one. Since we've actually covered... An insane amount of ground, which is always fantastic. That's why we always love having you in the foxhole for these wonderful conversations. You know, folks, check this stuff out. Tell your friends. You know, sure. we, we actually bring it. Um, okay, so we've kind of like debunked, de um, dissected, whatever you want to call it. Who do you think next year, if you were, since you live in Las Vegas, it's your town now, if you were going to put a future who would it be on at this point? A future right now? Okay. At this particular moment, I might put a small future on the Lakers, going back to them, because you know what? It's L.A. It's the Lakers. Even though I'm so pessimistic, maybe they could get a Durant trade somehow, some way, and he ends up in purple and gold. And that makes them close to the favorites if that were to happen. I mean, assuming they somehow did that. Um, but I, I think men, I mean, I haven't actually looked at the odds. Memphis would be my future. If in terms of, I'm looking for good value. Mm -hmm. I would probably put it on a team like Memphis because they got kind of a snake bit against the Warriors last year. But I mean, I just love, and they're a team that has the assets to trade for Durant. All right. Which would definitely move their, um, their value up. So in terms of best value, that's where I would be going is Memphis because I like their core, and they also have a good enough core to trade for Durant and a jaw Morant, a jaw Durant combination. Now they probably lose their depth, but 
I mean, that's not a team you'd want to match up with in a seven game series, you know. Oh heck no. And um, you know, I've got my I don't know, let me let me phrase it this way. I mean, the, the the talking that they've done kind of irritates me because I I feel yeah. you need to actually go out and achieve something to have the sort of cockiness. But that said, the talent that they bring to the table and Jaw doesn't get hurt, we may be having a different conversation. Oh, for sure, for sure. Jaw, I mean, Jaw getting hurt changed the complexion of that series last year. So, I mean, if he doesn't get, I mean, and Jaw, I mean, as amazing, as crazy as this is, if you redrafted, I don't think anyone in a million years thought Jaw would end up being better than Zion out of that draft. And now it appears there's no doubt that you would take Jaw over Zion if you could redo that draft at this point. So, which is true. How uh, that said, you know, because you know, give give the Pelicans credit. Uh, oh, in, yeah. in terms of being patient and actually putting the squad together while they were waiting for Zion to actually get into a, a, into playing condition. What do you think about them? You mentioned them earlier. So as we wind this down, what do you think about them joining this club of teams on the precipice? That's a, okay. That's a team that, like I said, they have a lot of young talent. I really love, I really love the CJ trade they made last year um, because they didn't really give up much for him. So, I mean, in fact, I don't even think they gave up. I can't even think of what they gave up to get CJ on that roster. Last, on, no, on it that was roster. bad because I remember us having a conversation about this was the move we needed to make. Yes, that is, yes, exactly. I mean, I think it may have just been like cap fillers. Mm-hmm. Um, Ingram has shown, a, I mean, Ingram since leaving us, I mean, which has seemed to be a pattern from our young draft picks from the, era of the 2010s, let's say, <laughs> mm-hmm. has uh, turned into an elite scorer. That's a team that, if with a healthy Zion, if Zion turns, if Zion turns out to be as good as he's hyped, that's a team that could be a sleeper to possibly winning a title. But that is all based off Zion ending up as good as... As advertised. As advertised. And you know what? He might be. You never know. He... Um, has he had a lot of injuries, obviously, but if he could stay healthy, or even if he just had one year where he stayed healthy and turned into that monster that he looked like he was going to be coming out of Duke, um, it's just it, um, it, um, I mean, like I said, that's a team that could potentially went steal a chip at some point down the road. Oh, right, the sample size, you know, suggests so. All right, perfect. So we're going to wrap this up. And um, fantastic. Always having you in the foxhole. Yes. Uh, we'll probably have another conversation here early fall, come the start of the college football season and the pre-NBA to sort of like oh, revisit sure. what we're for all of you out there. So until then, we will talk soon. Thanks for being in the foxhole. Ah, no problem. Always enjoy my time here. Alrighty, that was another fun conversation with Alec Ford. Definitely will be looking forward to getting him back here in the fall. See how things have progressed based on our discussions today. Very knowledgeable, very insightful, and 
always good to have somebody out there in the at the hub of Las Vegas, which you know, having your fingers on that pulse is a window into just about everything these days. Anyhow, stay safe as always, folks. Have a wonderful July Fourth. Check out the other episode that's dropping at the same time. We'll see you in about six or seven days.